Well, have a seat, everyone. We uh, move into the time of the Word, and then uh, we will um, go towards the Lord's table. And uh, in keeping, if you were here for Good Friday on Friday night, I believe the, the text was um, out of Luke, and, uh, and I'm going to continue that text out of Luke. Um, so it kind of worked out that way. So... Um, we begin, if you, this is a long passage, so if you want to bring it up on your phone or if you have your uh, physical Bible with you, that'd be great. Uh, so it's Luke, the last chapter, the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. So Luke 24, 13, um, it won't be up on the screen the entire time, so if you have it in front of you, it might be kind of handy to have. And the best thing about this passage is it's a story, so it's super easy to follow. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Now, on that same day, now this is the day, by the way, the same day is the first day of the week, Sunday, Jesus, uh, the day he rose, okay? Now, on that same day, two of them, followers, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? And he asked them, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. And moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Now, keep in mind, by the way, these two have not seen Jesus. Yeah, and they didn't go to that tomb. You didn't see the empty tomb. Okay, verse 25. And then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day's now nearly over. And so he went into and stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 disciples and their companions gathered together and they were saying the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon and then they told what had happened on the road and how he'd been made known to them in the made known to them in the breaking of the bread he is risen he is risen indeed this um this call and response 
you can see now, you know, we all say it at Easter, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And this is exactly Luke chapter 24, where that comes from. So there you go. A little circle loop for you if you're wondering, you know, if the church made it up. Nope, it's right there in scripture. Uh, so uh, it's been with us since the very beginning. I imagine it was one of the things they could have very well have said every Sunday, really from the, from the very beginning. It started right here in Luke on that first Easter afternoon. And notice these two disciples are not busy trying to find Jesus. They're not busy. They, there is no hint in the passage that they have any notion that Jesus has risen from the dead. They hear a couple of rumors that the tomb's empty, but that's not the same as seeing Jesus, is it? Right? As far as they know, Jesus is dead. Despite the stories from the women, these two are going home. It's over. And they're sad. They're sad. But this fascinating, smart stranger puts all the dots together for him as they walk along seven miles. The Messiah suffers, but he doesn't just suffer the way they all tended to think in the past seven, 800 years. He suffers on a Roman cross. Oh, the Romans. Okay, all right, all right, okay. That makes sense to him. And, and he ascends to glory. Oh, it looks like that. See, what we don't get, you know, 2,000 years from the thing is that before they had something else in their imagination about what it meant for Jesus to rise to glory and how he was supposed to suffer, they, they didn't know. Was it the Philistines? Was it some ancient tribe? How was it supposed to look? And here it was in current time, and it looked very different to them. And they just needed to picture it. Jesus really could have risen, right? So that's the way the whole thing was working about. In other words, the good news, the good news is about the arrival of a new kingdom, a new world order. A new king is here. The good news, was it that Jesus rose from the dead? Was that the good news? Why, yes, that's very good news. That's all, that all of us have eternal life? Was that the entirety of the good news? That, that we all now can live forever? No. No, actually, that was not the good news. That was not the primary thing. True, as eternal life may be, that was not what the new idea was. You know? Now, Jesus having risen from the dead was certainly astounding to them. I, I was talking to uh, Pastor Garrett before. He said it's very, very intriguing, you know, that in two of the Gospels, they mention any eight fish that we have two accounts of this really weird minor detail of Jesus eating fish. And they're like, how did he do that? How did he do that? In other words, they're saying like, he's mortal. Okay, so that was astounding. But that wasn't the expectation. Jews already knew that they lived forever, that they had eternal life. Be it spiritual or physical, they didn't know. But being Jews, it was physical. Now for the Greeks, it would have been spiritual. Okay. But the gospel writers, all four of them validate Jesus' claim that he is savior or king or Messiah, claims that he can forgive sin, particularly their sins that they've been experiencing for 700 years as a people, as a nation, as a tribe, and claims that he will come again and claims that everyone should be taught what Jesus taught, that Jesus is with them always. 
It was Jesus' presence that was the good news. It was the redemption of the people of the nation. That was the good news. The resurrection certainly was true, and it validates it. But you have to look at the Jewish expectation, and it's not the same as ours. We, now 2,000 years later, are much more astounded that there is eternal life. But that's because we're children of our age. You know, because we have existentialists like Bertrand Russell saying, when you die, you rot. You're just a part of a big fertilizer plan. So that's astounding to us that Jesus was raised from the dead, but not to the Jews. They just thought it was really crazy looking when they, when they saw it. So this should be no surprise to the disciples or to us. Jesus said, as you go, proclaim the good news. What? The kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. It's the kingdom of God that was the message. Well, the first day's about over, right? And they're almost home. These two are walking along. It's late. Why not stay with us? Let's break bread together. And they want to keep talking, you know. They want to keep their conversation going. It was, it was so intriguing. They want to keep it happening. They want this stranger to hang out. They want to hear more. And then, and then, and then this happens. breaking of the bread, Jesus is revealed. Food is theological. (laughs) Think about it. Think about it. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with what? Bread, fish. He breaks it. Jesus breaks it and hands it to the disciples distribute so what's intriguing in this in the two people Cleopas's house the two of them with Jesus eating dinner what's intriguing is usually the homeowner right the head of the table is the person who breaks the bread this is very very important in Jewish culture okay at this time 2,000 years ago but this stranger takes over the job of of the person who's the host of the house, right? He takes over as this commanding presence and he acts as the the head of the table. And he picks up the bread, he blesses it, and then he breaks it and hands it to him and poof, he vanishes. And they both suddenly recognize Jesus. The stranger is Jesus. So just get the cultural background down here. You see, in first century Palestine, the host always picks up the bread and touches it. Yeah? The host always does that. There's a message that is clearly being sent. When the host picks us up, it says, I now allow you to participate in this household and in this table. I am giving you permission. You're welcome. This is my little sanctuary. In the Hebrew, it's the mikdash miat. Mikdash Miat. There's a good trivia word. The Mikdash Miat means my little sanctuary. And it always happens at the breaking of the bread. And it says, you are my guest. You are allowed in my home. Right? The closest we come is like on Thanksgiving when whoever gets the honor, should be the cook, takes, you know, the knife and slices the turkey and puts it on people's plate. Right? 
Is that about as close as we get? It says, let me serve you. That's what's going on here. Except with a much more serious tradition. So keep in mind, he doesn't pass the plate. You know, just get some of yourself. You know, he doesn't pass the plate. He picks it up, tears it, and, and puts it in the hands of the family and the guest. You are my guest. This explains why Jesus in that upper room at the Last Supper, he takes the bread and he breaks it because he is definitely in charge of the Last Supper meal. And it explains again, like I said, the feeding of the 5,000, that Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and then gives it to his representatives to pass out. They are a part of the activity as well. They get to hand it out. No wonder that he tells them that he has authority in heaven and on earth. He has given them authority. I give you all authority on heaven and earth, disciples, my followers. Go and, and tell people that the kingdom is here. You're bread breakers. Go and make disciples. Be bread hander outers. Back to the two disciples who are with Jesus. And the breaking and placing the bread in their hands, suddenly their eyes are opened. We're not our hearts burning within us. We're not our hearts burning within us. Now, every single detail is clear. 1,400 years of history all the way back to Moses. The manna in the... There's the bread again, manna. It's not exactly bread. We don't know what it is. Manna actually in Hebrew means we don't know what it is. Manna. (laughs) The prophets, 700 years prior, Isaiah declares, out of the stump of Jesse... King David's father, a shoot will grow out. This is Isaiah 11. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. With righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. That was their picture of the kingdom. Isn't it wonderful that bread is the symbol of of good news about Jesus? Isn't that intriguing? It's a symbol of the kingdom of heaven. Each day we eat. Each day, several times a day, if you're fortunate, right? Which I'm going to say we all are. I don't even have to guess at that one. Each day we receive our daily bread. Each day we eat and begin a new fellowship with Jesus and with others. Eating together is a sacred act. Food is theological. (laughs) It is dependence. And that's why it says, give us today our daily bread. Each day be dependent upon Jesus. Our body tells us who we belong to. You need to eat. I want to eat. I want to eat a lot. I want to eat cake. You know, it tells you. You belong. You have to show up. Food's theological. Food is a divine presence. Okay, I got a video. Listen to your fellow Lakelanders talking about food. Okay, let's roll this vid. Why do you guys like being on the team when we want to do any kind of meals? I mean, like, 
You guys are kind of the go-to. There's more, but you guys are always on my go-to list when it's time for any kind of hospitality here. Why, why do you guys do it? It's something that we can do. We can do that for the church. It's the camaraderie. It's the mm -hmm. serving aspect. Mm -hmm. Saying thank you to everyone who volunteers their time. In this instance, on early Sunday mornings, they get a program. They deserve that. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it follows the model that Jesus set for us. Mm -hmm. You know, people were hungry, he fed them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the whole story of the fishes and the loaves, and you know, if you can feed fish to that many people and no one gets sick, that's a, <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> I enjoy creating, and then people seem to enjoy taking part in what we create. Mm -hmm. So, making food and different recipes we get to try out on the wide audience that uh, mm -hmm. get some feedback. I like meeting people. For me, it's a way to meet people within the church. Mm -hmm. You know, I met these two ladies serving, right. and now we see each other all the time. But I like to, um, I like to serve. I like to feed people, I like to cook, so it kind of all blends together. Cooking is a slow thing, right? I mean, it's hurried at the same time, but it takes the time, and during that time, that's when you really get to know each other, like you were saying. That's when the deep conversations happen, that's when you do life together, and then you do, you form these bonds that they're just priceless, really. you hear it? Joy. I love to serve community. I like to create. Are you kidding? You know how packed full that is of meaning and experience? It's Our problem is it's just we do, you know, we eat so much that we just kind of begin to take it for granted. And I'm just going to say today, today, when you go to eat lunch, I hope it's not just at Chipotle. I hope somebody actually invited you over someplace. You know, not the wrong with Chipotle. Okay, sorry. Uh, but, you know, I hope you know, it's a rich moment for you. I mean, fast food is an oxymoron. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing fast about food. Food, food is divine presence. You know, it's the breaking of the bread. And our culture has gotten it down to just being this sort of necessity, you know? And um, so... It's a thing, you know, that God chooses as a controlling metaphor, bread. The central metaphor, feed on me, Jesus says. I am food, drink my blood, I am life. And then he hands us bread, and then we hand it to each other. And think about it for a moment. For almost 2,000 years, Christians have been serving each other bread and wine as symbol as Jesus' presence just like we're gonna do here in a few moments. 2,000 years, it's being passed on. And we become the latest holders of the kingdom of God. And we go out these doors to be the best Jesus that someone's gonna see this week. 
and we hold that in all of its preciousness. Life is this beautiful temple. It's a, it's a safe sanctuary. It's a gathering of belongers. And we want it to burn within us and glow bright. And Easter morning is when it glows its brightest. And it says, this is presence. This is the body of Christ. And you will go out and people will feed on you in what you say and how you behave, what life you bring to people around you. May it be rich. You need friends for the journey, you know. You need to break bread together because that's when we see Jesus. And when we begin to live passionate lives, don't we need something passionate to live for? Don't we need a burning heart? Don't we need Jesus just so close, so near, and just a passion for living? You know, you guys, you're not going to live for just another 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. You're going to live for another 30,000, 400,000, 50 trillion years. Eternal life has already begun. The question is, is are you going to be present for it? Are you going to be here? And it just comes down to each day breaking bread. That's how eternity looks. Each day. I still picture, I don't have any scriptural evidence for this except maybe in Revelations. But I think when you stand before your Lord someday and you'll kind of glance around and you'll see like everybody. I don't know how that works. You're going to see everybody. And Jesus is going to break bread and he's going to begin to pass it out. And he'll raise the chalice and he'll say, everybody drink, everybody eat. And we'll all just nod and we'll be like, yeah, this is what it means to be alive forever. What a moment. What a vision. So here's what I want you to do. And soon, today, okay? Get together with others and have a grand meal. Have a feast. I don't care. It, it really could be Kool-Aid and Twinkies. I don't care. But have a, have a meal. I guess you'll have to break the Twinkie. And pe- but, you know, live life to the fullest, especially today. No conflict. No backbiting, no innuendo. I know, I'm thinking you're with relatives. All right, I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like, just chill and just enjoy the breaking of the bread. That's the goal today. That's living the resurrection. Get together with others and have a big feast and break bread together and live life to the fullest. And when you wake up tomorrow, find a way to see Jesus through your normal everyday life and don't take food for granted. A billion people on the planet are, are um, you know, need food. They don't eat regularly. I'm so glad that our church helps do something about that. That's what we're supposed to do.
So in the breaking of the bread, at home, at work, and with the kids and at school, or in your car, each step you take, Jesus is there, and Jesus is present, and Jesus is breaking the bread first. That's what I want you to do. And just enjoy it. And just nod with your friends and neighbors and your family. And just say like, it's good. It's a good day. Amen.